0: Hello, listeners. This is Mike, your host. If you are enjoying these archive episodes, please consider supporting the podcast by going to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, and clicking on the orange Donate button or the Patreon link. Hopefully, with your support, I can continue to release these archive episodes. Thanks. We choose
1: to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
2: you got speed, John Glenn. Roger zero G, and I feel fine. You might be Okay, I'm not. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? At last. Huh? When that baby lights, there's no doubt about it. Liftoff. We have a lift off. Thirty-two minutes past the hour. Lift off on Apollo 11. uh... Tranquility Base, is The Eagle has landed. It's one small step for man, one
0: giant leap for mankind. Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 169 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 8, Christmas 1968. By most accounts, 1968 was one of the most turbulent years of the latter half of the 20th century. About 1,200 Americans were dying per month in Vietnam. Martin Luther King was gunned down in Memphis. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in California. The Democratic National Convention had exploded into violence. There was a highly contested presidential election have a series of clips to give us a perspective of 1968. To say that we are closer to victory today
3: is to believe, in the face of the evidence, the optimists who have been wrong in the past. To suggest we are on the edge of defeat is to yield to unreasonable pessimism. To say that we are mired in stalemate seems the only realistic, if unsatisfactory, conclusion. On the off chance, the military and political analysts are right. In the next few months, we must test the enemy's intentions in case this is indeed his last big gasp before negotiations. But it is increasingly clear to this report that the only rational way out then will be to negotiate, not as victims, but as an honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy and did the best they could. This is Walter Cronkite, good morning. Good evening. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, 39 years old and a Nobel Peace Prize winner, and the leader of the nonviolent civil rights movement in the United States was assassinated in Memphis tonight. A sniper's bullet cut down Dr. King as he stood on a hotel balcony in Memphis. Within an hour, Dr. King was dead. That happened at 7 p.m. Eastern time. The nation was shocked. President Johnson expressed horror and then postponed his trip to Hawaii until tomorrow. We're going to go to Memphis now. The Lorraine Motel is a favorite place for Negro leaders to stay while in Memphis. It's a very nice new modern motel. He was on the second floor balcony, standing exactly where these two officers are, talking with some of his aides at the time of the shooting. The uh, scene immediately became confused. Officers ran forward and, and to secure the area. The shot apparently came from an apartment building directly across the street. The uh, members of Dr. King's staff were there discussing a mass rally, which was planned for tonight. They said that uh, suddenly there was a sound that sounded faintly like a firecracker or something, and that he was shot. He was
2: talking about was the shot. musical program for tonight's uh, mass rally. Yeah, yeah. And he had asked you to play a special tune. Yes, yeah, uh-huh. Did he say anything after he was shot? Could you tell how seriously he was wounded? He just said, oh, and it knocked him back you
3: know, off his feet.
4: I would, hope, I would hope now that the California primary is finished, oh, yeah. now that these primaries are over, that we could now concentrate on having a dialogue or a debate, I hope, between the vice president and perhaps myself on what direction we want to go in the United States what we're going to do for those who still suffer within the United States from hunger, what we're going to do around the rest of the globe, and whether we're going to continue the policies that have been so unsuccessful in Vietnam of American troops and American marines carrying the major burden of that conflict. I do not want to, and I think we should move in a different direction. Mayor Yorty has just sent me a message that we've been here too long already. so.
2: Uh,
4: my thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago and let's win
2: there. Thank you very much. Senator Kennedy has been shot. Is that possible? Oh, my God. Senator Kennedy has been shot and possibly shot in the head. I am right here. Rainfor Johnson has a hold of a man who apparently has fired the shot. He has fired the shot. He still has the gun. The gun is pointed at me right at this moment. Take a hold of his thumb and break it if you have to. Get his thumb. They have the gun away from the man. In this shot. They've got the gun. I can't see. I can't see the man. I can't see who it is.
3: President Johnson made an impassioned plea for reason and order in the country.
2: I speak to you this evening not only as your president but as a fellow American that's shocked and dismayed as you are by the attempt on senator kennedy's life deeply disturbed as i know you are by lawlessness and violence in our country of which this tragedy is the latest spectacular example
1: i have with me uh los angeles police department sergeant J. R. macarthur Uh, the senator was apparently here shaking hands and the uh suspect came walked up and apparently reached over several people and fired several shots at the senator where the senator was hit.
2: Senator Robert Francis Kennedy died at 1.44 a.m. today, June 6, 1968, with Senator Kennedy at the time of his death, where his wife Ethel your sisters, Mrs. Stephen Smith, and Mrs. Patricia Lawford, brother in law, Mr. Stephen Smith, and your sister in law, Mrs. John F. Kennedy. There will be a requiem mass at uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, following which the senator's body will be taken on a train. From New York to Washington, and thence to the Arlington National Cemetery, where you will be buried,
3: there have been some demonstrations at this early hour in downtown Chicago's Grant Park. We heard a moment ago that tear gas has been used as the demonstrators are attempting to form a line of parade and march toward or on the amphitheater.
2: Some of the demonstration leaders saying you're cool. A girl being carried off to a paddy wagon. to the crowd at the corner of Balboa and Michigan there are now and then there was another one a bottle being thrown by the crowd and the police clearing off the sidewalks in front of the hill and the persistent chanting by the crowd the whole world is watching rather your name, sir? and what is your name
3: sir take your hands off of me unless you intend to arrest me don't t- don't push me
1: please i know you won't but don't push me take your hands off of me unless you're to arrest me wait a minute wait a minute Well, water you can see
3: i don't know what's going on but this these are security people apparently around dan it was obviously getting roughed up. We tried to talk to the man, and we got uh, bodily pushed out of the way. This is the kind of thing that's been going on outside the hall. This is the first time we've had it happen inside the hall. We,
2: uh,
3: I'm sorry to be out of breath, but somebody belted me in his stomach during that. What happened is a Georgia delegate, at least he had a Georgia delegate sign on, was uh, being hauled out of the hall. We tried to uh, talk to him to see why, who he was, and what the situation was. And at that instant, the security people... Uh, well, as you can see, put me on the deck. I, I didn't do very well. I think we've got a bunch of thugs
0: here. But amongst all this turmoil on Earth, there was one positive event of 1968 occurring in space almost a quarter million miles away. It was December 24th, 1968, on board Apollo 8. It was getting to be a long day. The astronauts had been in orbit for nearly 14 hours and they still had six hours to go before they would leave the moon. Borman could tell that his crew was tired. Lovell was hard at work on his landmark tracking, but there was a weariness in his voice whenever he spoke, and he was making mistakes. Several times he entered the wrong commands into the computer, triggering warning tones and startling Borman and Anders. Anders was tired too racing around to keep up with his photo plan. Borman knew how tired he had felt a few hours ago before he got some rest. The flight plan was just too full. The astronaut still had to do a TV show during the Ninth Revolution, then the all-important trans-Earth injection burn. Compared to that burn, Lovell's navigation was secondary, and so was Anders' photographs. The most important thing was getting home. Borman knew what he had to do. On the radio, they heard Mike Collins, CAPCOM, in Mission Control, asking about some of Lovell's landmark sightings. Apollo 8 would like to clarify whether you intend to scrub points 1, 2, and 3. Borman spoke. We're scrubbing everything. I'll stay up and keep the spacecraft vertical and take some automatic pictures, but I want Jim and Bill to get some rest. Anders couldn't believe what he was hearing. The last thing he wanted to do was waste time sleeping in lunar orbit. He still had stereo pictures to take, dim light photography and filter work, and there were the targets north of the track he had to finish up. He didn't feel tired. Was Borman serious? Borman looked at the overcrowded flight plan. Unbelievable, the details these guys put in here, he said to Anders. A very good try, but completely unrealistic. I should have warned you. I'm willing to try, Anders said gamely. No, Borman said. You try it, and then we'll make another mistake. Lovell started to speak, but Borman cut him off. I want you to get in bed right now. I can do another revolution, Lovell said. No, get to bed. Hurry up. I'm not kidding you. Go to bed. Anders thought of all the unexposed film. He hid his frustration and asked his commander, What do you want me to do? Go to bed. We'll get that camera going when we get to daylight, Borman said. Now you guys go sack out for two hours. So that was it. Like it or not, Borman had the authority to send them to bed in the interest of keeping his crew alert in a dangerous situation. Just then, Capcom radioed their agreement with Borman's decision. The radio fell silent once again as Apollo 8 coasted out of contact with Earth and into total darkness. Lovell had gone to his sleep station, but Anders remained in his couch, tending to the cameras, hoping. He might hold off Borman long enough to take some more pictures when they came into sunlight again. Borman said quietly, We're doing fine. Why don't you go to bed? Anders was about as close to arguing as he had been. But, in a spacecraft almost a quarter million miles from Earth, an argument with his commander would have been tantamount to mutiny. Still, he tried to hang on. This is a closed issue, Borman said. Anders asked about the movie camera. Borman said he would turn the camera on when the time came. Finally, Anders went to bed. In his sleeping bag, he craned his neck to look past his couch through the tiny rendezvous window. Now he was really tired. He could hardly keep his eyes open. Ironically, This was the best view of the moon he had had the whole flight, and something on the stark ground caught his eye, a feature that stood out from the pulverized sameness. He was all but certain he was looking at a region of old lava flows. This was what he'd been looking for, some sign of volcanic activity in the highlands. He could hear the camera clicking away on automatic in Borman's window. He hoped it was getting this, but even if it wasn't, Anders was aware that he was bringing home something more important, a new perspective on Earth. On his way into a restless sleep, Anders began to realize they had come all this way to explore the moon, and the most important thing was they found the Earth. While Anders and Lovell slept, Borman floated in the commander's left-hand seat. Borman knew Anders was upset about the unplanned sleep period, and Borman liked Anders. But he believed Anders just didn't have the experience to always see the big picture. Borman had been flying ten years longer, and he knew the real role of a commander on these missions wasn't to fly the spacecraft. There was precious little of that. The real role was to make crucial decisions, and in this case, the crucial decision was to keep his crew sharp for the trans-Earth injection burn. The flight plan called for two TV transmissions from lunar orbit. The second was for the ninth revolution a couple hours from now. The public affairs people had told him, quote, there will be more people watching these shows than have ever listened to a single human being in all of history. Say something appropriate, end quote. And with the help of a friend in Washington, Borman found something appropriate. He had it reproduced on fireproof paper and placed in the back of the flight plan. Before the flight, Borman had barely thought about the spiritual impact of going to the moon, but now that he was there, he couldn't deny it. To see the moon so desolate, looking like the earth must have looked before life, or how it would look after a nuclear war, was more sobering than he could have anticipated. But what moved him most was his own planet, the only color in the universe. To see the Earth rising beyond the moon on Christmas Eve was all the confirmation of a creator that Borman needed. Now that he was here, he was glad to have the TV camera. He wanted to share his perspective with humanity. It was time to get Lovell and Anders up for the telecast.
3: From the CBS News Space Center in New York, correspondent Walter Cronkite. Good evening. Apollo 8 is in its ninth and next to last full orbit of the moon. The astronauts, on the orders of command of pilot Frank Borman, are scrubbing all remaining items from their flight plan except one more television transmission, which should come up very shortly now, because they are tired and need to rest before the critical maneuver that starts them back to Earth early tomorrow morning. About three hours ago, Borman ordered Jim Lovell and Bill Anders to sleep and told Mission Control, we're getting too tired, we're scrubbing everything, I'll stay up, but I want Jim and Bill to get some sleep. Mission Control in Houston concurred, saying that virtually 100% of Apollo 8's goals had already been completed during the first seven revolutions. That was picture taking. And let's watch now as uh, they prepare to receive the pictures from uh, this ninth orbit of the moon the second and last of their television transmissions. They're just coming around on the uh, trailing side of the moon from their ninth trip around on the far side of the moon. Let's listen to Mission Control in Houston. And no word yet on Goldstone. The person you'll be hearing speaking to Apollo 8 is astronaut Ken Mattingly, who is so-called Capcom, Capsule Communicator. Still no calls of the moon.
2: We've uh, got a picture here. The TV look okay? That's very good.
3: I assume that shortly we'll get some explanation of the picture we're seeing. doesn't make a great deal of sense to me here at the moment.
2: We're uh, theorizing here at that bright spot in the top left center of your picture is the earth. That's not very right, clear. Uh, unappetizing looking place. We're now going over approaching one of our future landing sites uh, selected in this smooth region to call the sea of tranquility. uh, Smooth in order to make it easy for the uh, initial landing attempt in order to uh, preclude uh, having to dodge mountains. Now you can see the the lunar to be a phone Good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good Earth.
0: With the telecast complete, it was now time to prepare for the trans-Earth injection burn. That would occur in about two hours. It's difficult to understate the importance of that burn. If the SPS engine did not fire, Apollo 8 would have continued to orbit the moon with the astronauts waiting for their oxygen to run out. Recall that Apollo 8 carried no backup engine. The lunar module was not ready to go for this mission, so everything depended on the service module engine firing. There was no reason it shouldn't fire, but that didn't stop the worrying. Chris Kraft and his engineers back at Mission Control waited nervously. The burn would occur when Apollo 8 was on the far side of the moon, The clocks in mission control crept toward T+, 89 hours, 28 minutes, and 39 seconds, and the tension was palpable. If the trans-Earth injection burn went as planned, Apollo 8 would emerge at that time, 19 minutes past midnight, on Christmas Day. If the engine didn't fire, contact would come as much as 8 minutes later. The mission clock now read... 89 hours 28 minutes 39 seconds the seconds passed in silence suddenly a cheer went up from the flight controllers telemetry from Apollo 8 began to register on their screens it took a few minutes for earthbound antennas to lock onto the signal and finally they heard Jim Lovell's voice
2: here's to Apollo 8 over hello Apollo 8 Loud and clear Please be informed there is a Santa Claus.
0: On the tenth lap of the Moon on Christmas morning, T plus three days, seventeen hours and seventeen seconds, the service module engine fired to increase Apollo 8's speed by one thousand seventy meters per second. Apollo eight was on its way back. the good earth. I thought it would be appropriate to end this episode the way the moon program began with President Kennedy at Rice University.
1: But if I were to say, my fellow citizens, that we shall send to the moon, 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket, more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses several times more than have ever been experienced, fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food, and survival, on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that on the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today, and do all this, and do all this, and do it right, and do it first before this dictators is out, then we must be bold.